Yeah, so I mean, I looked at dozens of businesses, met dozens of founders, flew, you know, all over the country to meet different founders and look at different P&Ls and do diligence on different companies. And like truly none of them even came close to these guys, right? Like you've got a father who started this business 33 years ago. He had his son, you know, two and a half years later. He was running everything. His wife was running like the whole office. Like he was on the truck, he was doing everything. And then, you know, Brian Jr. stepped in to run the company in 2016. But the reason he wanted to do that was because he wanted to honor the business that gave him the life that he had. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately, a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to an episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today is a solo episode with a very good friend of mine. It's interesting. Aaron Harper is joining me on the show today. And before we welcome him, I find it interesting how fast Aaron and I have become friends, good friends. Talk every couple of days. We met at Springboard this past year in September. And since then, I've just really created a great connection and a great mastermind, if you will. We communicate our ideas, our mistakes, our successes, and help each other propel forward in franchising. And the moment I met Aaron Harper, I learned of his infectious personality. He's got that laugh that, you know, it's contagious. And he is a legend in franchising already, has had a ton of success with his previous brand, which we'll get into from the franchise development and operations standpoint, recently launched his new company and his new brand. And I'll let him explain all of that. But without further ado, welcome, Aaron. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on. I've listened to many episodes of this podcast, and I'm grateful that you asked me to come on and talk about Well, I'm excited to have you on as we record this. It's a brutally cold Saturday morning in New York. (laughs) I woke up saying like, what am I doing going outside? But I immediately felt okay because I knew what I was going to do is get to chat with you on this topic. So I guess to kick it off, just give us a quick synopsis of your franchising career up until now. Yeah. So I started in franchising on the franchise development side, working for a brand called ChemDry in the home services space. Prior to that, I was working in film and television. So in in Hollywood, kind of working on the teams of actors and writers and directors, Academy Award winning. You know, I did that for about five years after college and learned a lot about how to deal with really intense personalities, to say the least, but realized that wasn't something I wanted to do long term. And I had a buddy that Worked in franchising for you know a company called HRI, and he was the development director, one of the development directors for ChemDry. And he told me I should get into franchising, and I was like, "What's franchising? You know, like McDonald's? What do you mean?" And he's like, "No, there's a bunch of franchises. There's all these different types of models." And he's like, "You get to help you know potential business owners, give them a system, and allow them to start a business that they wouldn't potentially otherwise be able to start, or it would take them much longer to do that." And so that's kind of where I started. And I did that, grew that franchise by a couple hundred units in a few years. And then 
My company was acquired by a franchise conglomerate called Belfour Franchise Group, which at the time we had two brands. They had three brands. They put the leadership team from ChemDry and Enhance, HRI, onto Belfour Franchise Group and kind of assigned us with the task of becoming a home service conglomerate and to find other brands to bring in that could complement each other. And so they bought a brand called The Patch Boys, which is a drywall repair franchise. And they just focus on doing drywall repair and doing it better than anyone else. And so it's a very exciting niche business. And when I stepped into that role, there weren't a ton of systems in place. And so we, me and a brand president spent about six months building those systems out, which was really interesting because at the time, I had only done franchise development, but we need to get it ready to be able to take to market, right? So I spent some time getting to know all the franchisees, flying out to them, meeting them, asking them how we could best support them and help them grow their business. And if they were a new franchisee, like what they wish that they knew then that they wish they knew now. And then we built systems around what they needed. And so me and the brand president, we put a team in place, trainers and coaches and marketing people and suppliers. And then I stepped full-time into franchise development when we felt the brand was ready. So this was at the end of 2020. And from the end of 2020 till towards the end of 2022, I awarded 223 franchise locations, which was about 85 franchisees, so roughly one per week. And what I'm very proud of is every single one of those franchisees opened their doors. They opened it in the time that we set out for them to open it, and they continue to operate. And so, you know, in the middle of last year, I kind of decided that the next phase of my career was going to be starting my own business and starting my own franchise system using everything that I have learned over the years and applying it to something that I own. And so I sought out multiple businesses that were in kind of the mobile home service slash service space. I looked at dozens of businesses. And in September, when you and I met, I met Brian Wendling Sr. and Brian Wendling Jr. in Pennsylvania. They run a company called Rolling Suds, which is a commercial and residential power washing company. And we immediately hit it off. We had the same vision for their brand and the same core values and the same philosophy on franchising and everything. And so we were completely aligned. And so we spent a few months getting the contract together, the operating agreement, making sure that all the pieces were put in place from a legal standpoint. I raised money so I could make sure I'm doing it the right way and that we have the capital to invest to make it go well. And I got the help of some really seasoned franchise professionals who have been doing this for 30 plus years and have great reputations. And they're advising me. And we signed the deal about three weeks ago and just announced this past week, which I'm not sure when this would be released, but the first week of February, we announced. And we've now taken that brand to market. And we're seeking out you know, qualified franchisees to help us turn their residential and commercial power washing business into a national brand. So that's kind of a catches you up to speed. Well, first of all, congratulations on the success and on the launch. I'm sure you're on, I think you said on cloud nine as you launch and get right into development. <laughs> but I want to go, before we talk about the brand, which I'm really excited to talk about, especially the fact that it has this residential and commercial element component to it. But before we jump into that, I want to just take it a step back. So you're in development, you adopt or you inherit really this brand that Belfort acquires and your job is to 
develop it and grow the system, but you take it a step further. You go the extra mile and you say, well, no, first I'm going to go, I'm going to beat the franchisees. I'm going to go on a listening tour, if you will. I'm going to figure out what's wrong, what needs to be improved, which like, I don't know, is not really in quote unquote, your job description at that time, but you took that decision and it probably right. the founder entrepreneurial side of you was already kind of in motion, right? But you figured out the brand, what needed to improve. You went out and did that, right? You oversaw the improvement of the brand first, and then you took it to market and started awarding territories. And that's what created that flywheel of success for you. So for the audience, a lot of people listening to this are potential franchise owners, but we've also got a wide array of franchise professionals that probably know you or have seen you around. And one of the things that I found really interesting that was a cool story was that your eyes were open to this idea that you should step into the franchisor side, not just the development side. Could you walk me through like kind of that aha moment for yourself? Yeah. So I have to believe in everything that I sell, right? Like I can't sell something that I don't feel like I believe in, right? And so when they asked me to kind of bring that to market, my thought is, well, my reputation is on the line and these franchisees are giving us over $100,000 and leaving their jobs full time. And like, I take that very seriously. You know, that's not a small thing, right? Like, some people are liquidating their 401k, they're doing a home equity line of credit, like, that means a lot to me. And so I wanted to make sure that whatever we were offering, A, I understood and B, it was a good product. And so me and the brand president, which I became very close with, his name's Ted Spears, he's a wonderful man. And we felt kind of the same way about the franchisees and the brand. And so we were talking like two to three to four times a day. And, you know, I felt it was necessary to step into that operations role to make sure that I believed in what I was bringing to potential business owners. And yeah, you're right. I had never been in that role before. And you're right. It wasn't necessarily my job, but me and Ted were the first full-time employees. There was no management team in place when we acquired the brand, right? We started essentially, I mean, from scratch, but we had 100 units sold and 40 franchisees, right? So at the time, I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And then in retrospect, you know, now almost three years later, what I learned is how to build a franchise system. And I thought to myself, well, why go out and find a franchise system that needs to be fixed when I can take everything that I learned from this franchise system, build all the systems from scratch, and find a business that's replicable that can plug into those systems. So really, I started building the systems before I even found the brand. Because really, when you look on the back end of a brand, like the support, you can use the same support. You can use the same suppliers. You can use the same like coaching strategies. You can use the same... like There's a lot there that you can replicate before you even find the brand. And so that was really interesting to me to do that and be able to offer something that I had full control over making sure that those franchisees could have this incredible experience. And so, you know, with my brand and the team that I'm bringing on, like we're focused on the franchisee experience, right? Like we call ourselves a franchisee company rather than a franchisor. Because if you ask any number of franchisees in the industry, you ask them if they like their franchisor and they'll list. 20 things they don't like about their franchisor, right? And so there's like this franchisor, franchisee kind of thing. And my thought is, is if we're a franchisee company, it's very clear as to what we do. We provide a service 
to franchisees and they pay us a royalty in return for those services. So what are those services, right? Boil it down. And that's what I've been able to do with this brand. And now to be able to talk about it with franchisees, like I had my first intro call with the candidate in Raleigh yesterday. It was amazing. You texted me last night. You're like, are you you know, flying high? And I was like, I'm on cloud nine. I just got to talk about everything I've been building for almost a year <laughs> with someone who's actually interested in potentially you know, investing in that. And I'm going to fly out and meet him if we end up getting there. We're going to sit down. We're going to break bread together, right? Like the first 10 to 15 franchisees are the most important franchisees that ever enter the system, truly. Well, it had to have been a really amazing experience because you know, getting to know you over these past four months and being fortunate to be someone that was kind of in the inside or in the sense of talking with you and knowing how hard you're working six, seven days a week, nights, Friday nights, you're sending me a text message that you're working on mapping and like just that relentless grind, which I'm sure you'll continue for a long time, if not forever, to be able to then talk about that and bring it to life. And like one of the coolest things about starting a business, if you're listening, if you've never started a business is to me, like I first business, it's an idea. And then you put it out online or you give out a business card or whatever. And the day your phone rings that someone wants or is interested in your service, whatever that is, it's probably like one of the most exciting moments of any business, whether you're a flower shop, a coffee shop, a franchise or whatever. And so that must've been a cool experience. But what you said too, that is interesting is you're really focused on just like a corporation needs to focus on their culture you're focused on your franchisee culture and their relationship with the franchise company, the franchisor, and making sure that's very deep and communicative. Yeah. So one thing I've learned over the years is franchise development in most franchises, at least that I've seen, franchise development and operations don't necessarily talk to each other that much. And so what ends up happening is operations learn stuff about the business and how to improve franchisees' business and their trainings get better. And if franchise development isn't talking to operations, they just keep talking about the same thing that they were talking about when they started awarding franchises. Oh yeah. And so what happens is they go in opposite directions. They start to veer away from each other and then operations is mad at sales and sales is mad at operations. And... With Ted, what we learned is we have to be 100% aligned. If he's learning something or I'm learning something and we have to be aligned on the candidates we're bringing in and everything. And so I treated that brand like it was my own company. And so really, if franchisors just have their development team and their operations team talk regularly, you can keep at least relatively positive validation because everyone's saying the same thing. And then what ends up happening is the franchisees, after they sign, are saying the same thing as operations. Operations is saying the same thing as Frandev. And that was a big part of our success with Patch Boys is the franchisees had this incredible experience and they would come out the gate swinging with big numbers, right? Like month one, month two, month three. And so everyone along the path for when a franchisee started talking to me or when they started their business was aligned on what we were saying. And it's hard to do when you have an external company handling sales, right? Or development. It's just, it's really hard to do unless you build it in. Right. And so that's something that forever, whichever franchise I own or build will be part of it. It'll be a crucial, vital part of it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because again, you're going into this, being able to build the airplane properly, having already been through your other experience. And like I had a similar thing with us, whereas we build our system, Zach Nolte, our chief operating officer, when he came into the company, 
the conversation was look like all the things that for the 10 years you're running your previous company that you wanted to change, but you couldn't because you can't change things in a franchise system that's established that people bought in with certain premises and decisions were made. It's very hard to adopt even just right. a change of CRM or a change of, you know, some type of structure. So my thing was like, when you come into here, go and write all the things that you would have done differently and let's apply them now from day one. And that's what you did. Right. It's just funny sidebar before we get into the the brand because I'm so excited to learn about the brand. In our company, between our teammates, we have Microsoft Teams and we're always throughout the day talking. Sometimes it's business. Sometimes it's just joking around and emojis and gifts and just having fun. And late last night, I sent Zach a message and I was like, man, we should have a Teams for our franchisees. It was almost like so basic. He's like, yeah, obviously we're going to do that. And I was like, all right, I'll just go back to focusing on development. You you don't need any uh, thing. But what I realized in that moment was, wow, being a franchisor, and you know, this is a little bit of naivety, but I'm learning quickly. I really didn't fully grasp that you could build as close knit of a culture in your franchise system than you do with your team. It sounds like that's kind of your focus too, as a franchisee company, not a franchisor. All right. So let's get into it. So you talk to dozens of brands, you find rolling suds, you decide it's the right fit. They decide you're the right fit. You guys partner up. Tell us about the brand. Yeah. So, I mean, I looked at dozens of businesses, met dozens of founders, flew you know all over the country to meet different founders and look at different P&Ls and do diligence on different companies. And like truly none of them even came close to these guys, right? Like you've got a father who started this business 33 years ago. He had his son, you know, two and a half years later, he was running everything. His wife was running like the whole office, like he was on the truck, he was doing everything. And then, you know, Brian Jr. stepped in to run the company in 2016. But the reason he wanted to do that was because he wanted to honor the business that gave him the life that he had. And just that piece and having, you know, them together and and he took it from, you know, a million dollar business then to over a 2 million dollar business now, right? And he's 31 this year, right? So I really enjoyed talking with them, so just from a personality standpoint, we got along immediately. We were transparent from the beginning. There were ups and downs with the contract as there is in in any, you know, long-term negotiation when a deal is this big and important, but through the entire process we were aligned on our relationship and the goal of honoring their company. Me and both of them have the same vision of honoring their company, their brand, and becoming the biggest power washing company in the world. So that's from a personal standpoint. From a practical standpoint, there's no leader in power washing. It's a super fragmented industry. There's no franchise that just does power washing that's in every corner and nook and cranny of the country. There are window cleaners who do power washing. There are painters who do power washing. But there are no companies that just do power washing across the country. And so that was really interesting because I know we can become that using the systems that they've created. As I dug more into their brand, I knew it was replicable. But once I went out on a truck with them and started doing the jobs with them and seeing the jobs being done and the equipment and how they use the equipment and everything, I realized that they move twice as fast as a normal power washer. Let me interject for a second. Cause I think what you just said is something pretty important. You went out on the truck. 
walk us through that. Like you had the hat on, <laughs> the, like that's cool. Like that's what makes you, you, you went out there. Did you wear like the full attire and just kind of like be a worker for the day? Like sure talk did. to me about, yep. about that. Yep. So I put the sweatshirt on that they gave me. In fact, when they gave me that sweatshirt, we were at least two months away from when we signed the deal. And I probably wore that sweatshirt like three to four times a week. I flew out there every week and a half to two weeks. I wanted to continue to dig into the business, wanted to continue to make sure I understood it and wanted to continue to see how I could improve it once we started bringing it to market. So yeah, I went out on the job. I went on a... It was a 3,000 square foot house, two detached garages, a deck and a vinyl fence. And they did that job. It was a less than two hour job and it, they charged the customer. Well, it was normally a $1,300 job, but since it was during the winter, they cut $100 off and they did a $1,200 job in under two hours. And what I realized is I could teach that, right? Like I could create classes to teach the efficiency that they have, right? So yeah, I put the sweatshirt on. I was out there. I talked to customers. I saw like the equipment. I went in like how they fill up the truck, how they break down the truck at the end of the day. They've got this big facility. I know exactly what all the equipment is called. I broke down their equipment package. I reached out to vendors across the country. I found a vendor who can build their truck for me and anywhere in the country. But I had to understand it before I could do all that. And it was crucial that I got on it and went out and did estimates, commercial and residential estimates. And I held the thing. And believe it or not, I didn't break it. I held, <laughs> I held, I held the machine and I didn't break it. So that was a feat in its own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't break it. So they didn't. They said, all right, we'll move forward and we'll do this <laughs> together. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button and make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. I saw a comment on your post or something. I forget where I saw it, but it was like, there's something therapeutic about like power washing when you see it done. Yeah. And I remember as just growing up in my town, my family home, we had our deck power washed and it was like a brand new deck. Yep. After like an hour, like you said, an hour, it was just such an amazing service. It's so tangible. So you fell in love with the service of power washing. Now, obviously your right. franchisees are not going to be in the day-to-day -day of power washing, but right. the service, they'll understand it from a managerial standpoint. What's unique about you is most people or most franchisors, they start a business not with the intention of franchising. Usually they start a business for whatever reason, they get into that business and then they franchise it and they become a franchisor. It makes sense, right? They became successful and they want to replicate it. Right. But you had the unique opportunity and perspective to look at dozens of industries and verticals and then choose power washing. So buzz through like the top five things that stood out to you about this specific space. Yep. So it's simple. The work is actually simple. You can train anyone who wants to get their hands dirty how to do the work. With the business I worked on before, the franchise I worked on before, you needed a skilled laborer who had been doing it for five plus years. So from an employee standpoint, it was more appealing because there's more people who want to get their hands dirty and learn a trade than there are who have been doing drywall for five to 10 to 20 years, right? So that was interesting to me. Now, I don't have a TikTok, but I know a lot of people who do. 
and they tell me that like they see power washing videos on there and they're like trending all the time, right? Like power washing has become like this like cool side hustle that people do. Really? Power washing is a side hustle that a lot of people do. You said it's trending on TikTok. Yeah. So what I learned is about half the power washers like in a market might be entirely part-time because it is kind of this like cool side hustle or whatever. And so I saw an opportunity like with the power washing industry to come in and be the professionals in that market, in that industry. I see it. I'm going to look at that after we talk. I just pulled a quick TikTok search. You don't see that with like, well, actually you do see it with all, I'm totally derailing our conversation, but that's, you know me, that's me. That's okay. (laughs) This is going to launch at a time that I think that we've already mentioned the business we're getting into, but a big component of the business I'm in is cleaning. And you asked me, if you know me, you think I'm going to be in the cleaning business. You would never think that. I love the cleaning business. I've absolutely fallen in love with cleaning. And to me, cleaning is anything related, like power washing, cleaning, anything that has to do with improving a home's aesthetic and cleanliness but and healthiness. But I started looking on TikTok and there's a whole space around that and people explaining how much money they're making in these side hustles. So- Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So we were trying to like, I did like a brand building document with a brand builder, marketer, and we really dug into the brand before we brought it to market. That was one of the things we wanted to figure out our messaging and making sure that we're communicating a unified message to the market, whether it's franchisees or customers. And, you know, the feeling when you go to your house and you see mold and mildew and grime on the side of it, and you're like most valuable asset, you know, theoretically. Most people, it's their most valuable asset. You see this black stuff on the side. And it's anxiety-ridden to have that. And one of the reasons I was so interested is I'm the perfect Rolling Suds customer. You know, I see that on the side of my house. My wife sees it. My wife tells me, you need to get this clean. And then I look and I see all these power washers and none of them have any reviews or websites that look nice or anything. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to go pay $500 to some person who's going to do a bad job. And then I go buy a machine from Home Depot and it ends up taking me an entire Saturday afternoon. And and then I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. And then I end up calling a power washer at some point. So like, that's actually something that's happened to me. So I knew that it was something that other people like me had experienced. Yeah. And so we came up with kind of our purpose is to make power washing one less thing to worry about, which I thought was really cool. It took us a while to really kind of dial that in. But that's exactly what we're trying to do is just provide a service that they can't get anywhere else. You know, if you call five power washers, probably three or four of them are going to be people that are just towing a trailer behind a truck. They have no wrap on their vehicle. They're doing this by themselves. They're not using the right equipment or they're using the equipment wrong or they're not using the right soaps or they're leaving the soaps on the house for too long, right? Like there's a lot of damage that can be done. Yeah, And there's actually, it's really interesting, 11 to 12 years ago, the pest industry was very similar. There wasn't any real regulation. There wasn't any national franchise brands. Yeah. There wasn't really much licensing, right? Like anyone could say they were a pest control person and there were like chemicals involved and like all this stuff, which is the same with power washing. There's really heavy duty chemicals that you have to use in order to kill black mold on the side of a house or algae on a roof or whatever. And so I thought, well, hey, this is like a really cool opportunity to bring these guys who have 33 years of experience and have figured out this really unique way of power washing that's more effective than anyone else. And what if I could bring that to franchisees and teach that to them the minute they sign a franchise agreement? 
right? And then they can have that truck, that equipment, that layout, everything, like right away when they sign. And then go into a market and provide those services. That was really interesting to me because I really don't see any like part-time power washers as like competition. I see it as a wide open space for a professional to come in and do it the right way with a wrap truck and, you know, the automation of the customer experience and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. In my due diligence period, I looked at the space as well. And I think it's wide open, a lot of blue ocean. So let's talk about the actual unit itself, a rolling suds franchise unit. Can you speak to a day-to-day for a franchisee and a rolling suds franchise? So we're not looking for the guy who wants to go power wash on the side of the house. We're looking for, you know, a professional who wants to build a business and scale it to multiple trucks. So what we do is we help our franchisees find two employees before they start their business. We get them a a vehicle wrapped and equipment installed and everything prior to them going to training. So they have a a wrapped vehicle and two full-time employees ready to work. How do you find those employees? You help them, a recruiting partner or? Right. So we train them on how to recruit if they've never done that before. We give them the job posting. That's great. We do an analysis of their market and see what an average power washer is making in their specific territories. And then we have them update the job posting that we give them to reflect a larger and you know hourly rate, right? And so it becomes more appealing to a potential person who wants to be a power washer looking at Joe Schmo's power washing company or Rolling Suds, the power washing professionals, a national brand with, you know, a franchise behind it. And for clarity, you don't need any specific like skill to become a power washer. You don't need a license. You don't need any technical labor skill. None. None. Because like when you, when you think about it, it's like, I'm a franchisee. I always say this, like, how much money can I make? How am I going to find employees? How am I going to find customers? Even right. And then like, how is this business going to stand out in my market? So when it comes to employees, you guys have a template to post and find them. You yep. raise the hourly rate a little bit above the market in that area. Mm-hmm. But anyone that has the thought of maybe they saw a TikTok about power washing, yep. they can go and become a power washer. Exactly. And we're going to teach them a method for power washing that they can't get anywhere else, which is also really interesting. Most guys will hire someone to do it by themselves. So that one person who's there, he goes out and he power washes an entire 3,000 square foot house by himself. It maybe takes him four hours. We have two guys on every truck. We have a lead power pro and a regular power pro. And they work together to provide this, we're calling it the professional wash method. And that's kind of what we're teaching, right? They'll conduct the first interview, the franchisee. That's on the phone, typically. We do set the expectation in the ramp up process that it's going to take 20 interviews before they probably find one or two people they want to actually meet in person. So we tell them you need to set aside this amount of hours per day and and this is what you can expect to be able to find someone. They conduct the second interview and then someone from our team does the final interview, essentially. We let the employee know that we don't have the decision-making. This is all on the franchisee. However, it's very important for us that anyone that comes into the franchise system, whether they're an employee or a franchisee or whatever, has the shared goals in providing this incredible customer experience. And so then we'll give the franchisee a rating on 1 to 10 on what we think that that employee is going to be worth to them. And then they can make the decision ultimately whether or not they want to hire that person. And so it gives an assistance to that franchisee that they couldn't get elsewhere. Like they don't know what makes a good power washer, but Brian and Brian do, right? They've done this for 33 years. 
So we actually won't let our franchisees go to training unless they have two people hired because it is equally important for us as it is for them to have guys ready to work. And then you ask some other questions, but I don't know if you want me to get into the responses on some of those other ones, but that's kind of how we help with employees. Well, let's do it. Yeah. So we kind of went in an order, but to me, I keep saying this on podcasts lately, but it's to me a very like distilled, everyone thinks the same thing when they look at a business. I do too. Right. These are the four root ones. And then there's ancillary ones. How much money can I make? How am I going to get customers? How am I going to get people to work here? And in my market, how am I going to stand out? Right. Then it's like leadership team and, and other components, but right. those four. So you just talked about how you get employees. How about customers? Like what is the lead acquisition process like? So they do both residential and commercial. So it's a wide open market wherever they step into, right? Like some businesses are just residential. Some are just commercial. I really liked that this business was both, right? Mm -hmm. The total attackable market essentially is much larger. Mm -hmm. So in my time in franchising, I've worked with some incredible, we call them suppliers in the franchising industry, but probably most people would consider them vendors like that are outside. Every supplier in the franchising industry has a different reputation. And in the last year, I've vetted multiple, multiple suppliers to provide different services for the franchisees that I work with. And I've also gone back to the, the suppliers, and I'm speaking about marketing companies that I've worked with in the past. And I said, hey, we added this many franchisees. Some of these suppliers had to add like staff to support the last brand that I worked on, which they were obviously really excited about. So when I told them, hey, I'm coming to you and I'm bringing potentially all my franchisees to you to help, I want you to give my franchisees the best deal. And then what we do as a franchisor is part of the money that we collect from the franchise fee and from the upfront investment, we then invest into those marketing companies for the first six months on behalf of the franchisee. So we are basically having those marketing companies bring in leads for franchisees. And then we're using a call center that also has a very good reputation. You know it, ProNexus, in the franchising industry, in home services specifically. And that call center is going to answer every lead that comes in within seconds, whether it's a digital lead or, you know, an incoming call, they hit that lead within seconds. And it's not like some call center where you get one of 30 call center agents. There's specific agents that I'm currently training with the founders on how to convert those incoming calls into estimates. What we did with the previous brand is we would turn those leads on while the franchisees were at training. And so they'd be at training, they'd be getting phone calls, and they'd be stepping out of training and booking estimates. And so it was really cool. It was really exciting. But they were missing training when they'd go answer those calls, which was cool because they'd come back in and it would create this thing. But we wanted to kind of make it a little bit more systemized and allow franchisees to have a call center answer those calls and book those estimates for them. So the goal for us as a franchisor or franchisee company is to make sure that franchisees are in their market doing estimates immediately, which is why we make sure they have two technicians hired, ready to work full-time prior to going to training, right? So we've got four or five that specialize in different things, whether it's social media or SEO or pay-per-click or you know some of the portals that generate leads. We've kind of got it all covered. And then we also have the franchisees set aside a certain budget monthly, immediately right out the gate, that's going to go towards paid advertisements above and beyond what we also field ourselves. So essentially, the plan is to get franchisees booked out two, three, maybe four weeks in advance, 
hit pause on the leads because they're not paying for anything they don't receive. So hit pause on the leads and then potentially go get a second truck, which is what we did with the other brand. They had to hire a second and a third employee quite quickly because we did a similar model. Yeah, to me, when I think about running a home service business or any business, the fielding of leads, calls coming in and answering them right away is is pivotal. And taking that off the plate of the franchisee is so important. And as a franchisor, one of your jobs is to vet vendors, find the best vendors and bring them into the fold. And to me, Pronex is in my time now vetting vendors for that service. They're the best, hands down the best. And so if you're a franchisor, I highly recommend looking into them. I mean, as a franchisor, you're a training facility in the service that you provide yep. to your franchisees. You're a marketing facility where you can get the best marketing and bring it in. Yep. And you're a support center. And so like when you think about the idea of lead acquisition, customer acquisition, you shouldn't aim to be as a franchisor the best in the world at every single thing. You, you're not the best bookkeeping service. You can't be the best right. bookkeeping and lead acquisition and training and LMS creation and all these crazy amount of things that, you know, we have to think about. Right. I think it's important to understand that our job is to kind of be like managers of incredible right. people who are the best at one thing. I used to have that experience at my previous company where I'd say to someone, look, you can try to do lead gen, but I work like right. 60 hours a week and my team and hundreds of hours a month combined and mind share and trial and error and millions of dollars have been spent to finally figure out this way. Right. So if you think you could do it right. better, please try. But like, why waste your time? Like that's what all we do. And then you could focus on right. what you do best. So right. what you're doing is like, you're saying, look, we're going to gather the best in franchise vendors for the different services. And of course, some things you're going to do in house, but yep. you're delegating a lot of that on behalf of the franchisees to get them the best service in each one of those. So you could focus on marketing and training and support for the franchisees. Right. We have a commercial acquisition strategy as well. So we're going to have them get people, like customers essentially set up prior to going to training. Commercial leads, they build a lot. You have to build relationships and stuff like that and reputations. But these guys, Brian and Brian, have done a really good job with that. And so we're building that into what we call the Power Launch Program, which is an eight-week kind of ramp-up process with learning management software and classes that they take and tests that they take after every week and logistics and meeting marketing companies and all the stuff you would have to do for your business otherwise. But part of that is developing commercial relationships before they open their doors. And yeah, like as a franchisor, like it's your responsibility to figure out who is going to be the best solution for your franchisees. And I'm not going to do bookkeeping because that's not my skill set. However, I picked the best bookkeeping company in franchising, and they're going to provide bookkeeping services for franchisees at a discounted rate, then they would go on their own, right? Because a franchisor has buying power. And the same with the social media management company, right? Like they're going to build social media pages for franchisees, and they're going to give us the best deal because of our buying power. And when you're a franchisee, you get to buy into that, right? Like people are like, why do I have to pay such a big franchise fee? Or why does it cost so much money? It's like, you're buying time, which is your most valuable asset. I spent the last almost year figuring all this out for franchisees. And really the last five plus years in franchising, figuring a lot of this out. And so a franchisee gets to buy in and have all that. Like it took Rolling Suds till 2019 to figure out the exact professional wash method that makes them the most amount of money 
a franchisee signs a franchise agreement and they get that skill that took a normal power washing company 29 years to figure out, right? So it's actually like one of the best mechanisms for increasing, you know, gross domestic product in the United States is franchising. If you do it right, right, it gets franchisees ready to generate an income and theoretically replace their income a lot faster than if they did it on their own and had to make a bunch of mistakes. Absolutely. So we're coming up on time, but I want to address these two other fundamental questions. But just one thing to add, like with the vendor component, I think we discount the amount of time that you spend traveling around the country at cocktail hours and morning sessions and talking to vendors (laughs) and building true, genuine relationships with the CEOs of those companies. And not only because of your scale, getting great deals for your franchisees, but also because of your relationships. That's sort of the conversation I had with the founder of the business that I'm franchising. I was like, look, like any improvement that happens here or any change is only going to be an improvement because just the fact, not that we're like smarter or anything like that. It's just this scale of all of a sudden the buying power of a hundred franchisees and that vendor understanding that you're a distribution model and they can get in on all those, they're going to give you a better deal than the single unit operator. Right. And your franchisees share in that benefit. So, all right. So I'm a candidate. I now understand how I get teammates. I understand how I get customers. How much money can I make? (laughs) (laughs) That is the question that every franchise recruiter, franchise development professional gets almost, you know, immediately as, as I know you have background in franchise development and I do as well. And the answer is, it really depends upon how fast the franchisee wants to grow and how many trucks the franchisee wants to scale to. Right. And in a franchise disclosure document, there is an item that's specifically there to make potential earnings claims. And when I looked at Rolling Suds, I asked them to give me the PLs for every month for the last three years. And I looked at all of it. And I said, okay, what can one reasonably expect if they try to replicate exactly what these guys have done for the last three years? And then I put those numbers from the last three years in our item 19. And so I looked at a lot of businesses, as I told you, that had different amounts per truck, right? Like the amount of revenue annually per truck. And it might be 150, it might be 185,000, might be 200,000 on a truck, but I rarely saw over 200,000 on a truck. It was very rare. These guys with their truck that's, you know, they're in Pennsylvania, so they're not operating 12 months out of the year. They're operating about 205 days out of the year per truck. We're averaging 373 grand per truck in gross revenue. And when I put in franchise fees and bookkeeping fees and the other things that are going to provide tremendous value for franchisees, it was still, you know, over a 35% profit margin after all expenses were paid. But what I'll say is anyone who buys into a franchise at the level that you're starting a business at, a franchise at, and I'm starting it at, has to understand that those are simply goalposts. We don't have 20 franchisees operating for the last five years to give you data on what franchisees can expect within the first five years because it doesn't exist. We've got a business model that's been very successful that we're going to do everything we can to replicate. But ultimately, anyone who comes in at this level needs to understand that we're going to grow together and we're going to figure it out together. And we're going to be in a long-term partnership. And they have to have some flexibility in that. And that's what I'm looking for in franchisees right now for these first 10 franchisees is someone who wants to be a pioneer of a brand, wants to be part of something that 
inevitably will take off. But for the next year, year and a half, we're going to figure out our systems and we're going to do it together. So what you said makes total sense. And the numbers you're referencing are what's in the item 19. And as you said, they're goalposts and people have to understand that you don't have a hundred units that you're using empirical data to then create these numbers off. Of. Right. But someone can look to the industry and understand the power washing industry and with best practices kind of come up with costs and average tickets, et cetera. But I'm a pioneer, as you said, what's the benefit? If I'm looking at a brand with one unit and growing versus established multi-hundred unit, why do I want to be a pioneer? What would be my benefit in that sense? Yeah, I mean, the person who comes in at this level is typically more entrepreneurial. They're buying into the story of Brian and Brian and their background and ultimately me and my team as a franchisor. You can buy into a system that's got 100, 200 units. But if it's a power washing business, they're not doing $373,000 average revenue per truck. If it's a power washing business that does residential, commercial, window washing, gutter cleaning, gutter installation, like all that, they're still not doing $373,000 per truck. Trust me, I looked. I read through every single other franchise disclosure document where people <laughs> offer power washing and not one of them was even close. Yeah. So I think it takes a specific type of person to want to be part of something like this at this level. But I know that they're out there because there are people who have similar mindsets as I do. And I talked to one of them yesterday. I have a call with another one on Monday. Yeah. The other benefit is, is like two, three years from now, there might not be territories available, right? In their area. This guy might be nabbing up Raleigh, you know, within an hour of announcing the franchise if we end up liking each other and continuing to get to know each other. So there's a lot of benefit. It just takes the right person. Yeah, I mean, to me, coming out of my character of, candidate and back into franchise or to me getting in early one there's access there's more access to the overall business development which makes you a way wiser franchisee later yeah there's an ability to contribute now obviously the franchisor is always going to make the decision and your contributions and voice will be heard more than anywhere else but then of course that will eventually start to dissipate a bit as there's more voices and there's more sure. a decision can't be as nimble. One of the things I learned from a friend of mine and who am I to talk? I don't have any franchisees yet, but as I'm learning, cause I say this with teammates, look, you're coming in when there's no one and your voice is going to be extremely relevant to me. As we grow though, you have to understand that there'll be more voices and your voice will still be as important but there'll be more people involved in decisions. And that's just how it right. goes with a, a company, right? So with the franchisee, it's kind of the same thing. Like, hey, look, like I am more available to you. And someday it's not that I'm like so busy and I'm so great, but someday I won't be able to be, right? Like right. for me to lead this company in the best way, I'm going to have to put channels between myself and my franchisee. Like yep. that's what you're going to have to do. But right now they do have more access to you. I think that's a benefit. And then of course, the ability to get in on territory also- Candidly, the best franchise agreement you're ever going to sign is the one you got right now. Because as you grow, you're going to have to restrict it more over the years. Yep, so totally. they get into a better franchise agreement today. Yep. And what I've seen on, on good franchise systems that, that, that do it the right way is oftentimes the first 10 to 15 franchisees, they scale their business up. They get so ingrained in like the involvement of building the franchise system that they end up becoming employees of the franchise, whether it's a president of the brand or a lead trainer or a field coach or, or anything. And it's because they're there at the inception. 
They understand it better than any franchisee who comes in a year from now, year and a half, two years from now, because they were there with me sitting down, having dinner, talking about the growth and what we expect to happen in the next five to 10 years. And they're excited about it and they can scale their business up and they can be part of the franchise system. There's just more opportunities at this level that they're not going to get if they come in two, three years from now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I tell myself every morning, if I want to be a CEO of a multi, you know, let's say even a billion system-wide company, candidly, I'm not getting hired for that job, at least right now. (laughs) I have to create the job, right? And so for me to do that, I have to knock down the doors. I got to open the doors. I got to buy the building that didn't let me in, right? You got to make it happen. (laughs) And so like with the franchisee, like if that's their goal is to aspire to maybe be on the franchisor side at the executive level, you're right. You just gave them a window in, especially when it's like, they're a first-time business owner. They can become, which 90% of franchisees are, and they can become this yep. hybrid of business owner, executive, which I think would be a pretty great path to be on. I'd, I'd love to see that happen in your organization. And hopefully this candidate and Raleigh, maybe that's his path. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. Yeah. But yeah, I love talking about franchising. I love talking about being a franchisee company. It means a lot to me. This is a big deal for me. This is everything to me. And it's the same for Brian and Brian. And we connected on that. This brand is both of our lifebloods at this point. And so we're going to bring that to any franchisee that comes into our system. We're going to bring that passion. We're going to bring that love for the brand to any franchisees that come into it. And you know, I put this on my post when I announced it. It's like, Turns out the best way for a franchisor to be successful is to have successful and happy franchisees. And so I'm not going to sell 10 packs to one guy. Like I'm going to make sure that he has the attention he deserves. He has a market that he can actually attack or she. And I'm going to help them maximize on that market potential. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm so excited. I know you are as well because we talk so frequently. And just on a personal note, I was telling my wife this morning... I'm like, I'm so glad that I have a friend who is doing the same exact thing that I am at the same time. Because it's a, as you know, being a CEO and trying to figure everything out, it's a lonely place to be, right? You're trying to like come up with solutions and you don't always know the right answer because no one around you knows the right answer, right? You have to just make the call of what you think is the right answer. And to be able to call you or you call me and be like, hey, this is what I did. And it ended up working. And it was a 51%, it might be this way. And a 49%, it might be this way. And I went with the 51% that way. And it ended up working out. So this is what I think you should do. Or you can do the same thing with me. And we can be each other's shoulders to cry on. I think is very powerful. So I'm just super grateful for that on a personal note. Yeah, man. The top people, they work in tribes. You know, you can (laughs) multiply your success that way. But well, thank you, Aaron Harper, for joining the show. This was an incredible conversation. And I wish you just continued success as you launch Rolling Suds. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.